Haven't you guys been refreshed by the Encounter team? Mm -hmm. They have been fantastic. They have really set the table well. We have been blessed. Um, it has been refreshing, hasn't it, this whole weekend? Yes, it has been. Very refreshing. You've had this uh, same thing that has <laughs> happened every time we walk outside of a, a room. Or right. A well, I am from the great state of Montana, which is... A lot of you Californians seem to like to move there, so, um, but it's our state. We, we have a little, you know, but um, anyway, when, it just smells like Montana, like the, the freshness up here, and, uh, and I, while I love Florida, and, and we live there now, we are embracing the state of Florida, but especially in the summer, there's no freshness. It's all humidity, it's hot. Now, come January, February, March, April, May, it's pretty nice. But the, even then, the palm trees don't smell like pine trees. So. No, no, they don't have that same smell. Yeah, so anyway, um, it's been really great. If you want to know what it's like to live in Florida in August, um, just go get into a steam room <laughs> and then stay there for 24 hours. That's what it feels like. Do you want me to find this one? I got you? it. No, oh, we're okay. good. We're good. Okay. We're set. And then what it really helped is we got to go canoe on the lake, yes. which was a lot of fun. And then we had one of the best experiences that I've ever had at a marriage retreat. <laughs> we got a couple's massage. We have never done that. And Diane and Marina, they knocked it out of the park. They did. And we felt great afterwards. And we kind of chatted throughout it. It was so fun. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So if you have not done that at some point in time, put that on your bucket list. And I just, I started feeling anxious because I knew the timer was going to go off soon. And I was like, this is going to end. <laughs> and I don't want it to end. And so... It's kind of how like, I feel with intimacy. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's move on. <laughs> she didn't like that. Uh, I'll hear about that later. Uh, where are we? Oh, we're talking about oneness. We're talking about oneness. We're talking about not sharing the same space. And this morning we talked a little bit about how coffee, uh, in order to be one, both things had to sacrifice. You know, that beans had to be... Uh, ground up, the water has to boil. If you're going to make and experience the kind of oneness, really the kind of oneness that that's the reason why you walk down the aisle. You did not walk down the aisle to be glorified roommates with somebody, to just share space. You wanted to feel like you're moving through life, journeying through life as a team. And if you want to do that, it's going to require change. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require uh, a sense of, uh, the Bible would call it sanctification, to become more and more like Jesus. And when both of us are more and more like Jesus, then we actually get the very thing that we desire, uh, which is a, a life partner that we journey through life together with. And so we, you talked this morning a little bit about what is yep. it that, that the ladies need to give up. And didn't Jen do a great job this morning? Did you guys appreciate her as much as I did? What do the ladies need to give up in order to um, actually, what do they need to sacrifice in order to experience that oneness? Yeah, we sacrifice, as, as women, we sacrifice our desire for control. And we open up our hands to how God wants to lead our marriage, and he's going to lead our marriage together as a team, but ultimately through our husbands. He wants to use our husbands to lead and guide our marriage as we work on that together, as we learned this morning. But as we as women have that desire to control, uh, we, are, we are wanting and encouraging us as women to open up our hands to that control and allow God to work uh, through us and through our husbands to, to lead our families. Yeah. 
And so I thought about changing the message tonight, but frankly, I had too many women coming up to me going, no, you are talking to the guys, right? Like, that's still happening tonight. You're going to do that. And so we are. We are going to enjoy our time in the rest of Ephesians 5 and just really refresh our our view of what the job description is for us as husbands. Uh, What does it really mean uh, to lead and to lead like Jesus leads? And so we're going to talk about what I think Paul calls us as men to sacrifice. Uh, And I do believe it will refresh our idea and maybe even give a new spin on what does it really look like uh, to be that servant leader. And so we're going to talk about the what, the how, and the why. We're going to talk about the what and the how and the why of being a husband. Paul starts his command in Ephesians 5, uh, 25, and he talks about how, um, you know what, I did need to fight it. I was in Galatians. I should have said yes. I knew that. I was like, oh, he must be doing Galatians. No, I'm not. I I, See, (laughs) I'm stubborn. I thought I had it. Ephesians 5.25. He starts with a command that I think all of us know. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love... That's the what of being a husband. That, that shouldn't be surprising news. If I were to ask you what's your job description, first job description, I'm supposed to love my wife. That, that should be part of it. I know what that is. The problem is, is that we, we don't really have great definitions of love in our culture, do we? We, we don't define it very easily. We, we kind of... We, we use love like WD-40. We just spray it on everything. You know, I'm a huge college basketball fan, grew up on the East Coast. I love the Tar Heels, okay? I'm a, I'm a huge North Carolina Tar Heel fan. I love the Tar Heels. I told you last night, I love burgers. I also love my wife. Do you, do you see the conundrum that we're in? Hopefully, my love for my wife is a little bit different than a college team in ground beef. <laughs> I hope it's different. See, the Greek has, multi, it has over five words it's used for love and to help you define it and see exactly what the author is meaning. And the word that is used here that Paul uses is agape, is agape. Now, for most of us men, when we think of love and we say, oh, do you love your wife? Most guys would say, yes, I love my wife because I know I'm supposed to say that. I'm supposed to answer that. And what, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to protect for her. I'm going to provide for her. I'm going to be willing to you know, step in front of a, you know, a, a, anything for her. I'm going to put my life down on the line for my wife. That, that's what I think kind of love is. I think that's what it is. But agape, is that what agape means? Of all the Greek words that Paul could have used, he uses this word agape, which means I do what's best for you regardless of what it costs me. I do what's best for you regardless of what it costs me. It's unconditional. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is saying that I'm going to look at what you need, what's going to take for you to flourish. And even if it means it costs me something, maybe even my very life, that I'm going to lay that down for you. Uh, it's not because you make me feel a certain way. That's when I feel like I really love you a lot. Uh, it's not because uh, my love isn't contingent upon your actions towards me, that if you treat me right, if you do everything that I'm expecting of you, then I'll show my love for you. No, this love moves first because that's the love of God. The love of God always moves first towards us, not because of how we act towards God. You know, God's love for us is not contingent upon our actions for him. Aren't you glad about that? His love for us is not contingent upon our affections towards God. It says in, in Romans 5, 8, why we were yet sinners, and that word for sinners can be translated as em- enemies. While we wanted nothing to do with God, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that Christ laid down his life for us, that he sacrificed the best of himself because it was for our best, regardless of what it cost him. So if that means it's going to cost uh, me, Paul gives this example. What's it going to cost? What this love looks like? He says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
Love not as you imagine it would be. Love not as the world would talk about what love is or how it portrays in the romantic comedies that my wife likes to watch. But love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I told you the reasons why I love Jen. If you were to have asked me on August the 3rd, 1996, when we got married, uh, those loves were, those loves were because everything about her being adventurous, laughing at my jokes, and because she was easy on the eyes. That's why I love Jen. It's all about her performance. And what I've really had to be confronted with in this passage is that my love needed to grow up. My love needed to change. To not be so much about how she's making me feel determines my actions towards her and my feelings towards her but to really move towards her with the kind of love that Jesus had for us. And, he gives, and he, gives, he gives the reason why. That's what I love about this. That's the what. And husbands know I'm supposed to love. I know that I'm supposed to love. I'm not really exactly sure now how that looks because you've kind of blown up my categories of protecting and providing. I know I'm supposed to do all those things, but is it something deeper? We're going to get to the how. But before we get to the how, Paul does what I think which is great. He says, I'm going to give you the why you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. He gives us so that. Uh, you look in verse, 20, uh, verse 26, that, okay, this is the reason why Christ gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that, another purpose statement, why? So that he might, Jesus might present the church to himself in splendid without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's weird, isn't it? What's he talking about? Like, it's not something that you just like, I'm going, Paul, what, what, do, you even, what do you even mean here with this? Because this picture, all of a sudden, he's talking to husbands, and now he's talking about washing a woman and preparing her, and the image here is of a wedding. So it's like, Paul, what, what are you talking about? And what Paul's doing is he's going, I'm actually wanting you to love this woman so that you're, when her time is ready to, to, to actually meet the father, that she's going to be more beautiful because of your time with her. Because what, what we're seeing here is that Jesus loves the church in such a way where he loves one woman, the bride, into beauty. That's what he's doing for us. Those of us that are believers in Christ, even though we're aging and we're definitely not looking more beautiful over time, okay? Believe me, I'm not, I, haven't look, I don't look more beautiful over time. But in Christ's eyes, he is making me more beautiful. He's making me more into the image of, of himself so that there's going to come a time where I die and pass away and he presents the church, us, all the believers, back to God. Because he says that. He says, I'm going to present the church back to himself. Now, how can Jesus present the church back to himself? That's only possible if you believe in Trinity, that Jesus the Son is going to present the bride of Christ back to God the Father. Jesus loves one woman into beauty over a lifetime. Side note, in our world all about, I know for me growing up, the idea of manhood and being a man, it was about loving many beautiful women. The lie of pornography, as it sucked me in as an 8-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a teenager, it was training my brain to love multiple women. That's what our world is saying. It's all about conquering many. Contrast that with what Jesus does. He loves one. He prepares one. He beautifies one so that after his time with that one woman, she's going to be made more beautiful over time. One of the reasons why, man, if there's anything that you should hear from that and, and all that is pornography is a lie and it's basically telling you and training you to love so many other beautiful women that you miss the one woman that God has for you to be beautiful for you. 
that's been your struggle, man, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the counselors because it is robbing you of real intimacy because, men, you are not made for sex. You're created for intimacy with one woman over a lifetime. Now, with that, it still feels esoteric. It still feels kind of weird to think about this imagery and the reason, this big reason for loving one woman into beauty, that he's going to present this this bride. You know, it's kind of this imagery of a father leading a, a daughter down the aisle and presenting her to her husband. That's really the imagery that we have here. So to bring this even more real, here's what hit for me. How many of you um, fathers of daughters in here? Fathers of daughters? Okay. Anybody fathers of sons? There's something different about a son being born versus a daughter. I don't know about you. I have two sons. And when my sons came out, they came out, I immediately grabbed the baby out of the doctor's hand. I started throwing my son up into the air. Umbilical cord was still on. It was like a bungee cord. And I'm just throwing the, the son up. I get my machete. I cut the umbilical cord. I say, this is my son. I didn't quite do that. But that's what it felt like. It was kind of like a Lion King kind of a moment. Not so with my daughter. You did that, right, with your son? Yes, absolutely. With John, I know you did that. When you have a daughter, if God blesses you with a daughter, it won't be like that. Because what you do is you grab that daughter. And those of us that are dads of daughters, we know this all too well. That immediately, your role is to protect her. Your role is just to feel like this sense of, of just get away. Nurses, get away. Doctor, get away. I'm, this is my daughter. This is my treasure. This is my world. And when Brantley was born, I felt that way. I just felt this amazing sense of wanting to treasure that baby girl. And as she got older and older, and, and as soon as she got to be 15, 16, and 17 years old, and suddenly I started getting these knocks on the door from these hormonally charged punks. <laughs> and you know, you know how that meeting went, right? As me, as a dad, and I'm going, you're about to take my daughter out. I think Chuck Swindoll used to say that, uh, that when, when somebody would go out with his daughter, he's like, I felt like I was turning over a Stradivarius violin to a gorilla. <laughs> And you, you end up having a conversation with that, that punk that's wanting to take your little treasure out. And it's like what one comedian said. He, he pulled that one of those guys over and he said, hey, listen, you see that girl over there? She's her mama's world. She's her daddy's treasure. And I just want you to know one thing, one thing. When you think about starting to kiss on her and hug on her, just know this. I have no problem going back to prison. <laughs> right? That's what we feel. Because you know... What's going to happen if that daughter comes back after that date and she feels like you hear about the date, maybe she was kind of looked over, treated indifferently. Heaven forbid she's been abused in some way. What do you do as a dad? You go after that kid. <laughs> you defend that daughter. Long before Jen was born into Ken and Joanne Strait's house, she was in the boardroom of heaven with Trinity saying, we're going to create this beautiful creation known as Jen Strait. She's going to have curly hair. She's going to have a sense of adventure, hazel eyes. And Jesus is like, man, I love this, this little girl that you're going to be creating. And then when she's 24 years old, we're going to, we're going to give her to Brian Goins. 
to which the Holy Spirit goes, can I object? Like I, <laughs> we drew up his plans. I'm still not feeling good about that. No, no. God the Father's like, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. See, guys, you're married to God's daughter first before she's ever your bride. There is no marriage in heaven. So all marriage is is one long date. One long date. And there is going to come a day where Jen is going to be given back to her heavenly father and presented. And guys, I don't want at the end of the day the God the Father to hear stories of me treating his daughter with indifference, treating his daughters like she's just my little helper, treating his daughter, heaven forbid, as if I've just taken advantage of her and abused her my whole life. And listen, if that's your story, you don't have to answer to me, but you will answer to someone. Because being the head has far more to do with stewardship and care than it does dominance and priority. And my role as a husband is I get to love this woman as God's gift to me for a short, short time till she goes back with her daddy for eternity. So when we get that why, man, it should change our how. It should make us look differently at the woman that we're married to. She can make us think, well, then what does that love really look like? How, how do I then? I, I should be asking you right now. We all should be asking the question, okay, well, Paul, then you better give me some, some, some help here. <laughs> what does it look like to beautify one woman over a lifetime? And that's exactly what he does. He gets into the how. He says in the same way, again, in the same way, with that picture in mind, that she gets to go back to her heavenly father and she's going to be presented back more beautiful than when just like Jesus did, does to the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but you could underline these two words, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Nourishes and cherishes. I- incidentally, guys, when I get to heaven, God's not gonna ask me the question, hey, did your wife submit to you? That's not gonna be the question I get. The question that I get is, How did you love my daughter? How did you love my daughter? And so for husbands, I think, you know, as I get it, before we get into nourishing and cherishing, you know, Paul is asking me, what is Paul asking me to sacrifice as a husband in order to create oneness with my wife? I think what he's asking me to sacrifice is my sense of entitlement. I think he's asking me to, to, my, my sense of entitlement as the leader in this marriage, where I focus more on my rights and my privileges than my duties and my responsibilities. And this is where, frankly, I think we as Christians have allowed and tolerated a lot of abuse in our homes, right? We've allowed this to go on. Many see that word head, they immediately think it means they call the shots. It means they think that they do what they, what they say goes, where they exist as husbands and their wife exists to help them achieve their dreams, their goals, their passions, their ambitions which generally means that they think the women should do all the dirty work in the house, take care of the kids, and make sure they meet their own, their husband's needs in the bedroom. Is that how Jesus ever acted as head of the church? 
You think about that. How did Jesus act as head of the church? He flipped the idea of leadership. He, he turned the tables and righted the wrongs of what leadership really looks like. In fact, on the night before he's about to, to die, he's going to give a picture to his disciples of what that kind of headship looks like when he gets down on one knee and he says, I'm going to clean the dirtiest part of their body at that time. Now, these aren't dirty feet. They look a lot better than when the disciples <laughs> did, I'm sure, because the disciples are walking through all kinds of stuff in their sandals, and only slaves clean feet. That's why Peter kind of reacts violently. You're not, you're not going to do that, not as the leader of us, not as the, as the chief rabbi. And he says, no, no, I'm going to do this. Why? Because I'm painting you a picture of this is what leadership looks like, is that if you're going to be head of anything, whether it's a church, whether it's a, a company, and whether it's a marriage, the head always takes a knee. This is the model. This is the picture of what headship should look like. He said that in Mark 10, 42 through 45. I think we have those verses on the screen for you. Mark 10, 42 through 45. It says, So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their superiors exercise authority over them. But it shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, husbands, we need to stop saying that we're the CEO of the house. You're the, if anything, we're the CSO, the chief servant officer. That when, it, when it's calling upon us to move into conflict, we should be the first to move. When it's calling on us to lead spiritually, we should be the ones seeking to lead spiritually. When it's calling on us to figure out what the rhythms of our house are going to be, we should be moving into those conversations. Those aren't easy. Frankly, I don't feel very qualified for those. But God's going, that's why I gave you my spirit. I'm going to help you do what you couldn't do on your own. And then what Paul does is, okay, now let's talk about, now that we've gone over the why, let's talk about the how. What does it look like to nourish and to cherish? These two Greek words, it means ongoing care, devotion, attending to needs. Nourish is often used of, of, of moms feeding children, which when I'm going, Paul, why would you use that to your men's talk to guys about husbands? That you're talking about breastfeeding women here. That's what nourish is often used as. What's interesting about that idea of nourish is when you think about a, a mom feeding a baby, she's feeding a baby and she's taking care of that baby and that, that, that feeding is always catered to, her, to that baby's needs. It's crucial to that baby's survival and it's consistent, isn't it? There was never a time when Jen was feeding our children that I'd come home from work and go, hey, when was the last time you fed Brantley? I don't know. I think it's been a week. <laughs> now she, she knows exactly when the last feeding was. And the same way for us as men, all too often we don't realize that what God has given us the opportunity for and the responsibility for is we're to care and nourish for this woman's heart. What does her heart need? I don't know what your wife's heart needs. That's up to you to ask her, to find out. My job is to figure out what does it look like to nourish Jen's heart, to really make her feel valued, to make her feel like she's consistently being loved to me and loved by me, that I'm catering that love towards her taste because it's crucial to her survival. In other words, her heart is like a, it's like a, it's like a tank. It's like a gas tank that often gets empty over time, right? Now, I mow the grass at my house. Jen, have you ever mowed the grass? 
No. No, she's never <laughs> mowed the grass. She's never. making it. She's making it her role in life never to <laughs> mow a blade of grass before she gets to heaven. And so I'm enabling that. When the gas, when the, the mower runs out of gas, I don't look at that mower and go, I cannot believe you again. You need to be filled up again. You're a piece of junk. <laughs> No, because mowers are designed to be refilled by gas. In the same way, our hearts, the hearts that we have, they're designed to be refilled. And so the next time your, your, your wife tells you guys, man, when was the last time we went out? What's she asking? Her real heart is, I want to spend time. And what she's saying is, I really want to spend time with you. I need my heart to be refilled. What, what's my response when Jen says, when, when are we going to go out again? I get offended. We went on a date. I can't remember, but I'm sure we did. And I, I'm pretty sure I paid for it. And da, da 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 da. And I started getting all defensive, instead of just listening and going, "Okay, something's off there." There's, there's basically saying she needs her heart to be filled again. That's that idea of nourish. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be catered to her taste because it's crucial uh, to her survival. And the second word is cherish. It means to bring warmth to. It's the idea of regulating temperature. It's where we get our word therm, our word thermal from. And so it's this idea that, that for me, when Jen's temperature is off, you know, we, temperature, you know, usually you have two, two ideas that come with it, thermostat or thermometer, right? What does a thermostat do? It regulates the temperature. What does a thermometer do? It takes the temperature. You know what I'm great at as a husband? I can take Jen's temperature from across the room. It's like this magic gift that I have. I'm not quite as great as this magician here, but I can take that temperature from across the room. And generally, if Jen is cold and I can know she's cold or she's too hot and I don't want to be around her, I go find another room, preferably with a bag of chips and a TV. <laughs> and what Paul is saying is here is like, no, I need you to cherish. I need you to come and regulate that temperature. Whatever's causing that temperature to be off, it's my role as head to come in and try to regulate that and get her back down to her center, wherever that might, whatever that might need to be. If it's resolving a conflict, if it's dealing with something that we haven't dealt with with our kids, if it's something that's going on in her world that she just is frustrated by, how can I help untangle whatever's going on inside of her heart and, and bring her back to her temperature? And so Paul is sitting here and he's going, listen, guys, I'm giving you what? I'm asking you to love your wife. I'm giving you your why because ultimately you're going to bring God's daughter back to God the Father and he's going to have one question for you. How did you love my daughter? It's the one question he's going to ask. Did you nourish? Did you cherish? We've got a couple questions uh, for you that we're going to ask, ask you to ask each other. Uh, and they're gonna, I think we have them up on the screen for your next date night or next time together. Maybe even do it tomorrow. Incidentally, you're going to get those questions tomorrow. There's one question on there that's going to make no sense. That's because when Jason asked me to send in the questions, I forgot that I, wasn't, I was going to be doing one talk, and I didn't realize it was going to be before you actually had these questions, or my talk's going to be after you have these questions. Didn't get that memo. So one question will talk about choruses. It will make no sense to you. <laughs> Just ignore it. You can ask it on the way home, all right? So we do have a couple. Can you go to the slide where it has two questions, a couple's check-in? There we go. Um, and I'm going to ask, uh, this, these are two questions based upon our talk this morning because Paul ends this session or ends this section of scripture where he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He gives two different commands, doesn't he? He says, husbands, I want you to love your wives, but, but wives, I want you to respect your husband. So we have two different questions that we want to challenge you to ask each other. Wives, when do you feel most respected by me? How can I show it more? Husbands, when do you feel most loved by me? How can I show it more? And so, Jen, I just want to ask you, it's like, for, for you, when you feel cherished, what are some things that I'm doing to help you feel cherished? 
Well, I think one we've talked about already today, and that is praying with me. I mm-hmm. uh, felt very cherished when you reach out your hand and, and just in, initiate prayer. Um, I think another uh, way is just by having fun and being lighthearted with things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really thankful for that and feel like that makes me feel cherished. And then, too, when you do, like what we talked about with our van ride, uh, when you go ahead and move into the conflict. I know we both don't want to, and you don't always have to lead out on that, but I think it always makes me feel like you know that it's going on and that it's going to be okay when you lead out into yeah. saying, okay, I know there's something between us, and I, and I really, let, let's work this out, yeah. or let's talk about it. And again, I'm a professional stuffer. I don't like to move into conflict, <laughs> okay? I don't. I don't at all. And so that's an opportunity for me actually to experience the gospel, where God wants to do something in me that I wouldn't be able to do on myself, where I actually listen to the Spirit, open up my mouth, let him give me the words and go, even to be able to say, I don't know how we're going to resolve this. I know that right now we're not, we're not feeling like one. We're feeling isolated from each other, but let's work on this. Yeah. Let's move towards that. I know another one that, you, that warms your heart is when I actually open up what's inside my heart. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll just say, guys, I don't know if you guys are the most verbal with your feelings or emotions. Maybe some of you haven't felt a feeling, I don't know, in a month or two. Because <laughs> sometimes we don't as much. But if the only response to your wife's question of, hey, how are you doing, is fine, let me just tell you that your wife's tank is going down that she really wants to know and to unpack what's going on inside your heart. Because we know there's something going on there. And a lot of times for us guys, I know for me it's difficult. We had a lunch just two weeks ago where we went out to lunch and there had been something in my heart that I knew I'd been needing to share with Jen and I just didn't have the words for it. And I've been avoiding the conversation. I've been not doing, I've been not moving into it. I remember having that lunch and I just felt the lower was going, you need to open up your mouth and just start talking and sharing what's really going on because you're not one right now because you're not sharing parts of you with her. And I said, Jen, I've got three things that I need to share with you. Nothing that's like, you know, wrong or, or anything like that with me. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to freak her out. I've got three <laughs> things that I need to share with you. Yeah. I haven't really known how to bring these things up. And I just want to deal with one of them right now. And so we just unpacked one of them at that lunch. And, what it, and for me, I didn't feel comfortable the whole time because I couldn't put words to these things. And for some of us as guys, we need help with that. You know, there's these things called feeling wheels. Have you guys seen these, <laughs> feeling wheels? It's all the rage among the 20-somethings right now. You can get them on the internet. Just type in feelings wheel, and it will give you words I that you could use. I think it's a feeling use. circle. Feeling yeah. circle? Something I think like it's that. a wheel, like it spins. Okay. Put in feeling circle. You might be able to find it. But it, like, is all the categories, and you can just put in, like, your, your wife, you put it on your fridge. And next time you ask, ladies, next time you ask your husband, how are you doing? And he says, fine. Take off the circle, <laughs> put it right in front of him, and go, no, point at the feeling that you feel right now. That's good. That's good. Because I want to unpack some of what's going on in there. I know something's there. Or would you be able to talk about it with me overall? Find the right context to do that. Because I, I know for you, like you want to hear what's going on in here. Right, right. Um, so the question back to you is... Yeah. When do you feel most respected? Because then, again, as we end this chapter uh, in Ephesians, where it says, um, however, let each of you love his wife, 
Um, and how I feel love is a lot of nourishing, mm -hmm. a lot of um, cherishing. Um, but a lot of times for men, how they feel love. Now, I need respect too. We all need respect. But a lot for a lot of men, how they feel love is with respect. And so when we as women are thinking about how can we love our husbands, think about how you can show him respect because that is how he most likely feels love. And so what that might look like is asking him. That's a mm -hmm. good, great place to start. Yeah. Um, and so I will ask you that in a minute. But I know for a lot of, for a lot of men, it's a couple different things. Mm -hmm. It is saying thank you for what they do for the family. Uh, w what a man feels like he wants to provide, he wants to protect. Those are the things that are, are built into a lot of men. And so when you're thanking him and appreciating him those, in those ways, he feels respect and he feels honored by you. Um, I know for us, like you've mentioned it a couple times, that uh, for a lot of men, they do want to be able to fix things around the house. They want to be able to fix the car. They want to be able to be known as kind of the man around the house. And so sometimes because you are more of a, like you work behind a computer every mm -hmm. day and you're great with words and you're a, a, you're a great writer, you know, a lot of times you come home and your hands don't have a lot of dirt on them. <laughs> you know, they're pretty clean. Right. <laughs> um, but to not disrespect that or to not think that you maybe couldn't try to do those things mm -hmm. or be successful in doing those things. Right. Um, um, also, I know one thing that makes you feel respected is when I honor you that you do uh, have an, an initiating drive for, sec for intimacy and for sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so when I initiate at times or when, I, when you initiate towards me and I respond, that you feel respected, that, um, that I would that I would. I feel commit. wanted. Yeah, you feel yeah. wanted. Mm -hmm. But what are some other ways that you feel respected you by nailed, me? You nailed them all. Like those are all. <laughs> you, you gotta know, have one more. Well, one or two I, more. I think whenever you, like even what you just did now, just praising me in front of others. Yeah. Like there's something about a guy, like there's something, when you're, when you're a woman, here's what really disrespects me, is like we're telling, I'm telling a story and if Jen interrupts and corrects like a minor detail, okay? <laughs> we got you know an amen. <laughs> like the fish was this big. Brian, it was more like, no, it doesn't matter for this story. It's okay. That's the reason why I call it a fishtail. But not to interrupt and, like, and to, 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 to get on those details. It's like, let me tell the story. Let me finish. Let yeah. me just get that out or whatever it might be. But the flip side of that is that when you praise in front of people, there's that sense of, I feel like you've noticed me. I feel like, because I think there's a latent insecurity inside of every man is, do I have the strength? Do I matter? Do I have what it takes? And so when a woman points those things out, especially, especially your wife, especially, yeah, exactly. When your wife points those things out, because otherwise that's where you get into trouble. If another woman starts yeah. pointing those things out, yeah. that's when you get in trouble. When Jen points those things out, it, it makes, it puffs me up a little bit. And so, you know, as we think about this, this is a great opportunity for you guys to ask each other those questions and just to be real, just to be authentic. Don't get defensive. Don't get defensive. This is the time to sit back and to take notes. And I know in a message like this, um, it can feel, for a lot of us as guys, we can, it's, it's easy for us to feel right now even some shame. Maybe even some feelings of failure. Maybe there's a sense that you're like, man, I haven't been treating God's daughter well. And here's what I want you to hear from me. One of my favorite verses on manhood is in Proverbs, where it says the righteous man falls down seven times and he gets back up. And maybe tonight is just an opportunity for you to get back up. And the great thing is, is that you're not getting back up on your own. Jesus is sitting there going, 
let me take your hand. Following Jesus is not about being a better man. It's not. It's about following a better man. It's about following the perfect man. And when we feel that sense of, of shame, that healthy shame, that says we've been doing wrong. There's something that God has done and point out in you in your life right now where you realize I need to do differently to, to love my wife well. Here's what I would say. Don't lose that. What God is calling you to do is to repent. It's what's called repent, that I turn from that action and I agree with God that I need to move into a different direction. You know, it says in this passage that we're to love like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died on the cross because he paid the penalty that we could not pay. That if any of us have committed even one sin, we're worthy of death. We're worthy of isolation from God for eternity. And he knew that we could never bridge that gap. So he sent Jesus down, walked among us, lived among us, died the death that we deserve so that we could have the life that we don't deserve. So that we could actually experience oneness with God the Father first and then oneness with our spouse and with those around us. And let me say this, I don't know in a room this size if everybody has come to that place. Maybe you've heard that message over and over and over and over again, but you've said, ah, I don't know if I need that. I'll wait to have, make that happen. Listen, now is, today is the day of salvation. Now is the moment where maybe the best thing that you can do for your marriage, definitely the best thing that you can do for your own heart, is to say, I need help. I need to follow Jesus. I need to stop living independently. I need to turn and agree that God is saying, hey, I want to be with you the rest of my life. Would you trust that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and do what you could never do on your own? And if that's you tonight, we're not going to ask you to bow our heads and have you come down, but I would encourage you to co confess that to somebody. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's to one of the, the, the leaders here at Hume Lake. Come up to talk to one of us. We would love to talk to you about what that looks like. But as the band comes out, I would just encourage you guys um, if there's something that you need to repent of to your spouse tonight, and don't let the sun go down without confessing that. Confess it to God, confess it to each other, and know that there's healing. And that there could be a new legacy starting tonight when we follow what, what, what Paul is t telling us to do, to do things that don't always come naturally, to love each other, to respect one another. And then you'll experience the very thing that you long for, which is oneness. Let's pray. Uh, dear Father, we, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for, for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us hanging, that in marriage, when we feel isolated, when we feel alone, when we feel like we haven't, um, Lord, when we failed each other, the gospel says that there's a fresh start and there's a new beginning. And so, Lord, I, I don't know where folks are tonight. I don't know if there's if there's some things that need to be confessed, if there's some sins that need to be owned up to, if there's some men that have felt like, you know, they really haven't loved their wife like Christ loved the church. Lord, it's a gift of grace to say I'm sorry and to start something new, to repent. And Lord, I pray that we'd have the courage to do that. Lord, help us to treat each other like you treat us. And Lord, the benefit of that is we get to watch you work and to change us from the inside out. Thank you for loving us in your name. Amen.